Thank you so much, medical workers, for all that you've done to uh, care for our community, love on our community. We continue to pray for God's protection over you during this season. We are in uh, our second week of our sermon series, Jesus is Lord, and we're looking at different elements of who Jesus is and his his lordship. I want to just throw out a fun question for you to answer at home. You can write it on the Facebook thread. Uh, You can just shout it out to each other. Just shout out three things. Say three things that you think of when you think of Jesus. All right? Three things you think of when you think of Jesus. Go. Give you 10 seconds. All right. Jesus is the centerpiece of the Christian faith, and it's so important that we have a right understanding of who he is. The reality that Jesus is the centerpiece of the Christian faith actually makes our faith unique among religions. Christianity is not held together by a place, by a nation, by a mosque, a temple, a synagogue, a language, a culture, a people, even a specific time in history. Christianity is held together by Jesus. Everything in Christianity points to who Jesus is, which is why it's so important that we know who he is really know everything that God's word teaches us about Jesus. And so with that in mind, I think it's important that we look today specifically at the humanity of Jesus. And we're going to unpack his humanity. I bet that probably none of you in your top three things when you talked in your households about elements or things that you think of when you think of Jesus thought of Jesus's humanity, his humanness. And I think it's so important that we understand who Jesus was as a man, as a human. And if we miss out on who he is as a human, we can look past his humanity. We miss the beauty of who Jesus is. So let's pray. Jesus, we want to know you fully. We, we want to understand who you are, and specifically, we want to understand your humanity. We want to understand what makes you tick, how you're you're wired, what you think about, what life was like for you. And so, Jesus, we ask for your grace as we unpack your humanity this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So my first point, I'll give you three points uh, around Jesus this morning. Number one, Jesus was a man. Jesus was a dude. He was a guy. And he looked like a normal man. When you look at paintings of Jesus, he tends to be tall with long hair, rugged, European, good looks. But that probably wasn't what Jesus looked like. Isaiah 53.2 says this about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So we don't know if Jesus was tall or short, if he had long hair, short hair, receding hair, no hair. But we, from that verse, we can, we can understand that Jesus was this normal guy average looking. We know that he was a construction worker, that he was a carpenter, 
He's a guy's guy, kind of going to work with his lunchbox with calluses on his hands from swinging a hammer all day and, and working his, his projects. He, Jesus, was an actual human being with actual flesh. He had all the things that normal humans have. He ate, he drank, which means he had a stomach and he had intestines. And that means he probably got the flu and threw up. And it probably means he burped, maybe even after a good meal. And he probably farted. Jesus was a human He probably woke up with, with bedhead. He probably was tired sometimes. He might have been energetic other times. Jesus was fully human. Luke 2, 52 says it like this. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. So Jesus grew physically. He grew uh, spiritually and he grew in wisdom so he grew physically, he grew in stature. So he went from being a baby who had diapers and probably a diaper rash and crying. He probably grew into the terrible twos. I don't know what that would have looked like for Jesus. There's a song that we sing around Christmas that says, uh, Jesus, no crying he makes. And I just don't think that's an accurate picture of Jesus. Jesus would have cried. Babies cry. That's all they know how to do when it comes to communication. And so if they want something and they're not getting it, they're crying in order to get it. Jesus would have grown up into puberty. His voice would have dropped. He would have grown a beard. Jesus grew physically. Jesus grew in wisdom, which means he learned. He he learned how to read. He learned how to write. There would have been a time where he didn't know how to read, where he didn't know how to write, and he learned those things. Jesus grew spiritually, which means he read the Bible. He read the Torah. He studied it. He prayed. He, we even read that he fasted. He went to religious meetings and religious gatherings, and he even interacted with religious leaders. Jesus grew spiritually. Jesus had a mother, her name was Mary, and, and he really loved and cared for her. We read that in the Gospels. Jesus obeyed his parents, which probably is enough proof of his divinity for some of you parents at home. He had two brothers, James and Jude. Jesus was a guy who had normal emotions like we have normal emotions. He was happy, compassionate. He was a man of empathy, kindness, and mercy. And he actually had friends. He had friends that were men. He had friends that were women. And I think Jesus is a great example to all of us about how to have friendships with, with uh, people of the opposite sex. So especially for those of, uh, of you who are single and, and you're wondering how you should move towards and love on people that are of different gender than you. Jesus was friends with women. And it wasn't sexual, it wasn't weird, it, it wasn't sinful, but it was loving, more like a brother and a sister. Jesus had friends who were men and women. I really think that Jesus was fun to hang out with. No, seriously, like, I think people liked hanging out with Jesus. Where do I get that? Well, Jesus kept getting invited to parties. 
getting invited to, to, to celebrations, to holidays. And it was actually a big accusation against him that the religious leaders brought against him. And they would say, oh, Jesus, you're friends with, with drunkards. You're friends with gluttons. Jesus, we saw you at the party. We know. But Jesus didn't get drunk. Jesus wasn't a glutton. Jesus didn't eat too much. He was able to have fun, celebrate without sinning. People, I think, I'm using a little creative imagination, but I think people would get ready, plan their party, and say, we got to invite Jesus. Jesus would be awesome to have here. And the religious leaders hated him for that. And I think they hated him for that because they probably never got invited to parties because they weren't any fun. But I, I think oftentimes that's the way that religious people are. They tend to just be stuck up, maybe no fun. They aren't the life of the party. I've noticed since I've become a pastor that people watch what they say around me. They will say things to me like, Oh, Pastor Eric's here. Let's not talk about that. Or, oh, sorry, Pastor Eric. I didn't mean to say that. Or cover your ears, Pastor Eric. Sometimes I don't even want to bring up to people who don't know me that I'm a pastor because then they'll treat me differently and they won't live and act like they really are and I can't really get to know them. The cool thing that we see from Jesus' life, though, is that Jesus didn't, People didn't feel this way about Jesus. They felt like they could be themselves around Jesus and Jesus was going to love them right where they are. But over and over again, Jesus called them to more. He didn't just say, oh, that's nice that that's how you live. Jesus called them to more. Another fun, fun fact, I think Jesus was funny. Like I think he told jokes. All right, let's see if you can catch these jokes, these first century jokes. Jesus says, how do you get a camel through the eye of a needle? You don't. It's a joke. It'd be like if I said, how do you get an Escalade in your pocket? You don't. It doesn't fit. Have you heard the whole uh, speck and plank in your own eye? Yeah, you can get a speck in your eye, but how are you going to get a plank in your eye? Unless you work in construction and you had a really bad accident, no planks should ever be in your eye. Jesus is making a joke. He's using humor. He even pokes fun at the religious leaders in order to chastise them, even to teach them a lesson. He makes fun of this one guy for tithing 10% from his spice rack. Let me paraphrase, but he said, hey, buddy, I'm glad you're tithing 10% of your mint but you're kind of a jerk. I don't need more mint. Stop being a jerk. Jesus was honest with people. He poked fun at people who needed to learn a lesson. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he called them a bag of snakes. The Pharisees didn't think that was funny, but everybody else did because nobody talked to the Pharisees like that. Lastly, in Jesus' humanity, I think Jesus was passionate. We see that all throughout the Gospels. Uh, Jesus called on people to repent. I remember I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, and there was this guy who'd stand on the corner of, of 10th and O Street. 
He was 14 to know. And he had this big cross and he had like, repent, the kingdom of God is near. And I just always thought of him as obnoxious. And he was. I don't think he was, his heart was in the right place. But Jesus was passionate and he called on people to repent. Jesus was angry at times. He grieved at times. He even offended people. He said, how long do I have to put up with you? Hey, I'm sick of working with you. How long won't you learn? Jesus, in his frustration, kills a tree. He curses a tree. He throws money changers out and he whips them. Jesus was passionate. Jesus was a man. Jesus had emotions. And so that leads me to this really big question as we have just been talking about how Jesus is a man. Is Jesus just a man? Is he God? Is Jesus a man or God? And the answer simply is yes. Jesus is both. Jesus is both God and man. Jesus is the God-man. Martin Luther says it like this, the great reformer. You should point to the whole man, Jesus Christ, and say, that is God. The man, Jesus Christ, is God. St. Athanasius of uh, the Bishop of Alexandria in the fourth century says it like this. He, meaning Jesus, became what we are so that he might make us what he is. When it comes to the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ, I believe there tend to be two errors when thinking about those two things. An overemphasis of one and a de-emphasis of another. The first one is this, that he is God, but he's not really a man. And the second one, that he's a good man, a great man, the best man, but he's not really God. So let's unpack those here shortly. The result of the second one, that, that he's a great man, good man, wonderful man, but he's not really God, leads us to think like this. Jesus is a great guy, a guru, a spiritual teacher. He can teach me lots of new things. He's a liberator, maybe even a cynic. Maybe he's a sage, a wise man. He obviously seems to do some miracles and have some power. So maybe he's a magician or... Maybe even he's an alien, but he's not really God. The idea that he's a good man, but he's not really God is what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. That he's, they believe he's a great guy, but they don't believe that he's God. Mormons believe that he was a man who became God. Both of these uh, reduce or entirely get rid of the divinity of Jesus. And the first error that I mentioned is that he's God, but he's, he's not really a man. That he's fully God, but he's just not really a man. And, and this is basically the, the, the like Superman-Clark Kent comparison. I don't know if you've ever watched in the old Superman movies, um, but sometimes Clark Kent would have his glasses on, have his suit on, and he'd be walking through life, and somebody would, you know, a villain would start pursuing him. And so maybe bullets would start to come at him or, or cars would run into him or buildings would crash down on him. Hardship would befall him. And as I would watch it, 
Or as we would watch it, we'd say, oh no, Clark, watch out. And then you remember, oh, Clark Kent is really Superman. So as the building falls on him, it just crumbles around him. As the bullets hit him, they just bounce off him. As cars run into him, it happens the same thing. As villains see him, they run away from him because Clark Kent is really, ah, big ass on the chest, Superman. But if that's true of Jesus, that Jesus is like Superman, he's God, he's invincible, and the man part of him, the Clark Kent part of him, is a fake. It's not real. And if that's true, that Jesus, Jesus would be a faker. And if we want to be like Jesus, then we actually end up being fake also. I've actually seen this play out a lot in, in Christianity, in, in churches I've been a part of. You might have seen this too. You might have done this. I'll watch conversations happen and one person will walk up to another and say, how are you doing? And they'll say, oh, brother, I'm doing great. I'm fine, I'm wonderful. I'm, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. And the other person says, yeah, but like you're really sick. You're in the hospital or hey, we're at a funeral like, or so-and-so just died who's really close to you or, or you're completely broke. You don't have a home anymore. Life's not going well for you. That doesn't make any sense. And the person responds and says, yes, but, but you haven't seen the big S on my chest. I'm saved. I have felt this same pressure to pretend, to act like everything is okay, to, to fake that I'm really doing well when life isn't going well. Have you ever felt that way? Have you felt the need to pretend, to, to act like everything is okay when your world is really falling apart? The reality that Jesus is a man, fully man, gives us permission to be human to not fake like we're superheroes with a big S for saved on our chest. The reality that Jesus is a man gives us permission to say, life really stinks right now. I'm having a hard time. I, I feel really tempted. I, I feel weak. I feel vulnerable because Jesus was all of those things. Jesus was weak. He was vulnerable. Jesus was tempted he had bad days, hard days, anxious days, overwhelmed days, days where he needed to get alone and pray. Jesus was fully human. The Council of Chalcedon talked about this, uh, this idea of, is Jesus fully God, fully man? How do those two things blend together? They talked about his divinity and his humanity, and they wrestled with that question of Jesus's nature. And they decided after really studying God's word, diving into God's word, that Jesus Christ is, is one person with two natures. He's, he's one person, but with the full nature of God and the full nature of man, all divine in one person, Jesus. 
And the big theological term for that is uh, the hypostatic union. Little extra bonus points if you knew that one. The hypostatic union where Jesus, one person, two natures, fully God and fully, fully man. I do think we have to answer the question, though, why is it important that God would be man? Why does it matter? Why, why are we spending today's sermon talking about the humanity of Jesus? His humanity didn't save us, did it? I want to point out First uh, Timothy 2.5 to you. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Here's my second point. Jesus is our mediator. Here's what that verse is saying. Jesus is mediating between us and God in order to reconcile us to God. And in order to do that, Jesus needed to be fully God and fully man. If he's not fully God, he can't connect us to God. It would have come up short. And if he's not fully man, he can't represent us to God on behalf of mankind. And so Jesus was and is fully God and fully man. So Jesus is our mediator. As, as our mediator, he represents us to God. But he actually represents God also to us. He shows you and I, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, he shows us what God is like. The theological term for this is the incarnation, that Jesus would show humans, us, what God is like, where the invisible, immaterial, eternal God enters into human history, humbles himself, and takes, himself, takes upon himself human flesh and becomes a man. The word incarnation is derived from a, from a Latin word that means in the flesh. So Jesus Christ shows up, God shows up in the flesh. He puts on human flesh. John 1.14 says it like this. The word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's a crazy thing, actually. Um, all Christians of, of all traditions believe these same truths about Jesus. That Jesus is one person with two natures. Whether you are Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, we all believe the same thing, that Jesus is one person with two natures. And we accept this, that there is mystery in it, but we all believe that. When it comes to the incarnation of Christ, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, I have been convicted in this last season of, of my life that my life doesn't represent that aspect of Jesus. I believe that he's called all Christians to, to really live incarnationally, to, to demonstrate Jesus, salvation, God, to the world around us. I used to work in the food industry at Longhorn Steakhouse, loved it there. And I, I really loved sharing Jesus with people there. 
I loved getting to interact with my coworkers, hearing their stories, and then just connecting their stories to what God might be doing in their lives. And just bringing hope, bringing God's perspective into what they're, they're walking through. Since going uh, full-time in ministry and, and leaving Longhorn, I don't really get to do that in the same way that I used to. I feel like most of my time has not been able to, to be incarnational in, in essence. I think I've been able to do that with, with other Christians, but I've been missing out on that for people that don't follow Jesus. And so I've been missing out on that incarnational living. And because of that, I'm actually going to be taking just a, a part-time job at Chick-fil-A in Vineland. If you ever go through the Vineland Chick-fil-A drive through I might be there but just so that I can live incarnationally, so that I can, I can in the flesh be with people. So if you ever see me there, I'd love for you to say hi. So Jesus stands. He's the standard for incarnational living. And we as Christians get the privilege of living incarnationally also. We get to incarnate Jesus where God has placed us to those who don't walk with him. Earlier at the beginning of the service, we read Philippians chapter two. That's the, a passage that talks about this incarnation where Jesus takes on the form of man, takes on the, the humanity. It says that he, Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He, he humbled himself. He was born like a man. He died on the cross for us. And because of all that, because of his humanity, God has exalted Jesus and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. Jesus is in a place of honor because of his incarnation, because of taking on the likeness of man. And so Jesus mediates between God and us on our behalf. Jesus is our mediator. That's my second point. Point number three. Jesus is my last one. Jesus fully relates to you. You might say, well, how did Jesus relate to me? Jesus had bad friends. Have you ever had bad friends? Let me give you a rundown of that. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. Thomas doubted him. Maybe your friends have failed you, betrayed you, disowned you, misunderstood you, didn't support you, ignored you, left you. Jesus relates to you. Some of you are saying, yeah, but I'm broke. Yeah, but I'm suffering. Yeah, but I'm hurting. Yeah, but I'm homeless. Yeah, but my family's not so good. Yeah, but my life is painful. What does Jesus have for me? Jesus fully relates to you in every way. In moments of weakness, sometimes we, we feel like we should run away from Jesus because he's disappointed with us. But in fact, we should run to him because he can sympathize with us in our weakness. Hebrews 4.15 says it like this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted. Can you believe that? Maybe you struggle with eating and you want to eat too much. Jesus was tempted in that way. Maybe you struggle with drinking and you want to drink too much. Jesus was tempted in that way. Maybe you struggle with with taking things that aren't yours. Jesus was tempted that way. Maybe you want to twist the truth and, and tell a small white lie. Jesus was tempted with that. Maybe you're tempted to be self-righteous. Jesus was tempted with that. Maybe you're tempted into sexual sin. Jesus was tempted in the same way. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted. I've said this before, but there's a big difference between temptation and sin. Some of us feel guilty that we've been tempted. Temptation is this. Temptation is is where we are presented with the opportunity to sin. Sin is where we take an opportunity and we choose to act on it. We walk out, we, we sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, but he never took up the opportunity to sin. Some of you might be saying this morning, how can I live this life with Jesus? Jesus was still fully God. How do, how do I, as not God, live this life with him? There's a beautiful verse that says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we are in our time of need is when mercy and grace is offered to us and it's offered to us by Jesus who sits on the throne, which means he's in charge, which means he has authority to offer mercy and grace. So many of you are trying so hard to clean yourselves up to finally go to Jesus and impress him. But the reality is, is in your messiness, you get to go to Jesus for salvation, for mercy, for grace, for forgiveness. We need to run to him in the middle of our time of need. With confidence, we can draw near to the throne of God. So Jesus lived a life, a passionate life, a loving life, a a suffering life, a weeping life, a life of laughter, of stress, anxiety, sometimes being overwhelmed. He lived it so that we can too. Jesus, I want you to hear this as we close. Jesus does not condemn you in your weakness. Jesus sympathizes, relates to you in your weakness. He has been where you are and he offers, he offers grace and mercy from his place of authority to you in your time of need. Like I had mentioned before that there are some people that I know that will act differently around me as a pastor. Church, 
You do not have to act differently around Jesus. Go to him with who you really are. He will love you, accept you, and he will empower you to change. That's the Jesus that we serve. The Jesus who is fully God, with all authority, all power, all dominion, and fully man, who can sympathize with us, relate to us, understand what we're going through, and offer reconciliation to God. Let me pray for you. Jesus, this morning I think we need to know that you sympathize, that you can relate to us in our weakness. That you are, are working things out on our behalf, that from your place of a power, from your place of authority, you are offering grace and mercy. So God, I pray today for our church that, that wherever we are, we would experience your grace and your mercy as you reconcile us to God the Father. So in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.